today in Peter. If you remember First Peter, if you remember correctly, we had been in this section dealing with submission, obedience to authority, recognition of authority. That is a difficult subject. We see it right in the home from the very beginning of our children. They don't do what they're told. (laughs) That's who we are. And so we need to understand and push ourselves, challenge ourselves in this matter of submitting ourselves to our God and to his God-ordained authorities. Let's pray. Father, knowing your word and doing it are two different issues. The struggle to understand what your word says, and then its implications upon our lives. How to do that which is good, I find not, says the apostle. He finds a law when he would do good, evil was present with him. We suffer that. We need to learn to deal with it and overcome our natural inclination to turn away from your will. So give us that strength. Give us that understanding. Give us the determination to honor our God in every circumstance of life. And we ask it in Jesus' name. If you're in second, uh, I'm sorry, first Peter chapter 2, your Bible might have something in it that says, uh, Christ is our example in dealing with authority. That starts down in verse 21. So far he has laid out for us our responsibility to governmental authority. Pastor has been, uh, Dave has been, preaching to us, teaching us uh, governmental authority. It's established by God from the very beginning. Governmental authority is established by God. Paul clarifies this. Jesus put himself under it when he said, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, but don't forget to render unto God the things that are God's. It was very easy to do the outward. It's the inward that becomes the problem, giving God what he deserves. The outward show of obeying Caesar, well, that's easy. Unless you're a Republican. (laughs) Render unto God the things that are God's. So, when we look at government, it's there. Paul tells us real clear in Romans 13, pray that we live peaceably under this government. When Peter writes this, he's talking about the Roman government that was not friendly to anybody but itself. Everything we can possibly do to be at peace with the government we do. As long as it says don't disobey God, we can do it. Then he goes on and he speaks about the domestic circumstance of, uh, we would translate that today into our work circumstances. We are under social authorities. In this case, our work. 
Somebody at our job is telling us, you do this today. And I want it on my desk tomorrow. Yes, but. I don't hear yes, but. You have it on my desk tomorrow. See that wall? You're framing out that wall. I want these all done by the end of the day. But you don't understand. Yeah, I do understand. You don't want to do it. But I want it done. You do it. Submit to that authority. Do it. And then he gives us an example. But we're not going to look at the example. We're going to go further. Look at... We go to chapter 3, and it talks about wives to their husbands. It talks about husbands to their wives. And then it talks about the church. So this example that is given us in Christ applies to government, applies to our social work circumstances, applies to our marriage and our home, and it applies to our church our relationship with one another in the church. Now, here's what I find fascinating in studying this. I cannot find anybody who applies the example of Christ to these four positions. This is ignored. But Peter says, this is how you do it. To us and our government, this is how we do it. To our work situation, the way Christ did it, this is the way we do it. In our homes, wife, husband, this is how you do it. In our church, in our relationships, the way Christ did it is what we do. And so let's now go ahead and look more closely at what Jesus says. Starting in verse 21. He says, you have been called for this purpose because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you would follow in his steps. For to this you have been invited. For to this you were invited. What were we invited to? You were invited to follow the example of Christ who suffered injustice for you. Leaving you an example. Here's how you do it, folks. This is the way. So that you will follow in his steps. In the early language, this would have meant in the classroom, everybody has a slate and a piece of chalk. And the teacher writes the alphabet, maybe the first time all in capitals. The student now takes that slate and puts their chalk right on the beginning of the A and follows up exactly like the teacher, follows down, makes the cross just like the teacher did it. That's what this following in his steps means. It's exact. The other example that we use in the, in the language is the steps. How big are his footsteps? Not big enough for us that we cannot follow. Well, hey, maybe those are some pretty big steps. Yeah, well, stretch. <laughs> stretch. 
Get ready. Do what you have to do. You're going to have to make that step. Just like Christ made that step that he had to follow. What did he have to suffer in order to accomplish God's purpose for us in Christ? So follow in his steps. Now we have to take this and apply it to government, to work circumstance, to wife to husband, husband to wife, church member to church member. What did he do? Well, let's look at it further. He committed no sin. And yet, we know he suffered for it. There's the first thing to to look at. He suffered no sin, but he suffered because of it. The injustice. If you look earlier, they slander us. They were slandering this early church, these early believers, saying things about them that were not true, making them the scourge of society. They weren't. But they had to bear under up those accusations. How did they feel to be abused? How did it feel to have your church made fun of, your faith made fun of? You people just lean on a crutch. It's Jesus. What foolishness. What's the matter with you? Get a backbone. Stand up on your own two feet. Wimp. Nasty, horrible things they say about us that they said about him. Who committed no sin, and there, nor was deceit found in his mouth. This is interesting. This word deceit, we know all what deceiving, we're deceiving, but it's deceiving to gain something. In Jesus' teaching of the word, he did not present it in a way that there was an ulterior motive. It wasn't a bait and switch thing. He was clear, he was precise in what he said. There was no deception, there was no fish hook, there was no trick, no trap in his presentation of God. And yet he suffered for it. God, I've honored you in absolutely everything I'm supposed to do. Why am I suffering? Why do I have to go to this cross? Now he knew why. But we would say, why? Why are they abusing me? I haven't done anything wrong. I haven't said anything wrong. I'm not asking them to church to get their money. I'm asking them to church to hear the word of God. And yet they malign me. They abuse me. They laugh at me. I'm the laughing stock at work. I see them. They're all talking. They look over here and they talk. It hurts, God. There was no sissy And while being abusively insulted, he didn't utter insult in return. And while suffering, he didn't offer up any threats. Keep in mind that in the whole context, we're talking about speech. What people say about us and how we respond to that speech. I've heard it. I'm sure you have heard people arguing. You bumped into me. No, you bumped into me. 
You took my parking place. I've been waiting there with my flasher on, and you pulled right in there, and you took my parking place. You blank, 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 blank. What the blank is wrong with you? How do we respond with that? Ah, your mother wears combat boots, you know. <laughs> Something nasty in response. No. No. Reviled, slandered, abusive, insulting speech. I'm sure you recognize this passage is going back to Isaiah 53, where he opened not his mouth. He didn't respond with insult. Suffering, suffering, he offered not a threat. If anybody could have legitimately offered a really true threat, it would be him. He didn't, and therefore we shouldn't. Remember, this is an example for us to follow. In government, in workplace, in the marriage, in the church. How do you do this? Suffering, he offered no, uh, no threats. But what did he do? He kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. That is a secret. That is a secret to bearing up under these insults, under these hurtful circumstances. He the word entrusting here is like a prisoner. The prisoner is taken captive and given over to the judge. The prisoner has nothing to say. The judge will make a decision. Christ gave himself over to the Father. Yeah, listen to what they're saying, but God, I'm going to trust you to make the decision. Their condemnation doesn't count. Your relationship, your thought of me, you count. Notice how if we are focused on our walk with the Lord and trusting him, we find the strength to endure the insults, the speech, the rejection. Life focused on the Lord makes the husband's insults bearable. Husband, the problems of the wife, if you will focus on your responsibility toward your wife, not on her, but on the Lord. What does he want me to do? He cares for her. I need to care for her. It makes it now possible. Why? Because the focus is where it ought to be. It's on the Lord. All these verses, set your affections on things above, not on things of the earth. It fits this. It's him. He is why we do what we do. He is why we respond how we respond. But if I'm focused on me, on my feelings, on my hurt, how can you say that about me? One of the gentlemen that I worked with, well, he wasn't a gentleman at the time, <laughs> got an argument with another person, and boy, they were going at it. I mean, they were a whisker away from blows, believe me got pretty violent, verbally. 
Now, I knew this guy pretty well. I won't even mention his name. I know you don't know him, but... <laughs> I took him aside. I said, did you understand what just happened? What do you mean? Did you like the way you responded to that man? Well, he... he really? Your kids would have liked to have seen that, right? Well, no. I said, do you understand what happened? You had no clue whether you were right or wrong. That wasn't even the thought. All you did is got insulted and you blew up rather than looking at the circumstances and arguing correctly, truthfully, logically. You got hurt and you verbally started swinging. You weren't focused on whether anything right or wrong. You weren't focused on what that man said or did or why he did it and how you could correct it, how you could help him. You were focused on you. You got hurt and you were going to pay him back. That happens to us as believers. Somebody insults you for your Christianity and immediately you attack them for their sin. Rather than, wait a minute, wait a minute, this is a sinner. This is void of spiritual understanding. I, I need to respond properly. And if the Lord allow, explain to this man where I'm at and maybe help him understand where he is at according to the truth of God's word. Now, Christ was focused on his father. He was entrusted to him. It's not me. It wasn't about him. It was about him doing the Father's will. And it's about us doing our Father's will. I had this thought. Why his stripes is healed? By his stripes we are healed. He offered it. it he, did, he didn't respond with any judgments, any condemnation, none of that. If he is the representative of the love of God, God so loved the world that he gave us Christ. He is the picture. He is the representative. He is the revelation of God's love. For what? To redeem mankind, to bring salvation to mankind, to show love to mankind. Does it show love to mankind when I say, you stupid, no good? Oh, wait a minute. I'm supposed to be a vessel portraying the love of God. Not as hatred and condemnation. When we answer back with nasty, harsh words, that is not love. That does not represent the love of God that he wants people to see. He committed himself to the Father who judges righteously. And he himself bore somebody else's, our sins, in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. He did absolutely everything for our benefit, for their benefit, and he suffered. Consequently, no good deed should go unpunished. You know the saying. We 
have a commission to take the gospel to the ends of the earth, to make disciples. We cannot make disciples if we're fighting with them and insulting with them. Can't do it. If it's all about us and not about Christ, we're going to fail. He took our sins. We take their abuses so that we might win them to Christ. Remember, the, when, we, excuse me, when we read earlier about Peter, this is a book of suffering. Why were they suffering? Because they were weird in the present society. They were different. They stuck out. It went through society, through the culture. Look out for these people. They've got a God we never heard of. They believe this God loves them, and they don't have to do anything except trust him. And some of them were actually physically harmed. Jobs were taken away. We don't want you people here. Right now, you go ahead and witness at your job. You talk about an opposition to some of the current social morals, and you'll be out of a job. First, you'll be warned. You'll get a strike. Two strikes, three strikes, you're out. With them, there were no strikes. You're a Christian, you're out of here. Keep in mind also, these people, when they believed, they were baptized. They made this public statement. They also got together regularly in the temple. They had the Lord's table regularly. These people eat the body of Christ and drink his blood. What a bunch of idiots these guys are. This is the culture they lived in. I rejoice that we live in the culture and the country we live in, and it is killing us. Christianity is nothing but a social, moral thing that you do. If you go down south, it's not quite as bad as it was. I have conversations with pastors down in the south. Church is what you do. Church is what you do. Oh, yeah, 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 okay. Your social standing is, in some cases, what church do you go? Well, I do the Presbyterian. No, I'm the congregation. No, I'm the, ooh, the Baptist? But Christianity is just a social thing that you do. In many cases, the words are there, but the life isn't. The words are there, but the life isn't. And this is the hard part. This is something we need to start learning if we haven't learned it already. In this time, in many places in our culture right now, to be a Christian is a death sentence. What did it cost you and I to become a Christian? Nothing. Nothing. Because it's acceptable. These people suffered for their Christianity. They suffered for their faith in Christ. And this freedom that we have is destroying us. The Christian culture says, well, you, yeah, you're, yeah, I know you go to church sometimes. Yeah, well, that's, that's good. If you can't make it, well, that's, that's okay. I would venture to say that if we begin... Uh, we can't. 
But if we began to take the word of God and said, this is it. No, no, there's no, no. I make a simple one. Look down here. You'll understand what I'm thinking about. Verse 24. He bore our sins in his body on the cross. Now look at this. So that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Look at the clarity in this statement. Turn from sin to righteousness. Now we make disciples. We want to make converts. How do we present the gospel? Sin? Yeah, I want to trust Jesus to forgive me my sins. Turn away from sins. Turn away from sins. Do we tell the young convert? It's time to turn away from sins. But no, no, no. According to God's word, no, you can't do that. Do we have the courage to do that? Or has society taught us, well, you know, believer, we we can't do that. I know the Holy Spirit can't do that, can he? The word of God is of none effect in the believer, is it? Well, we have to wait. Who said? I don't find that in the scriptures. Now, we've got to turn to righteousness. What's righteousness? The word of God. Where does the new believer learn about righteousness? Well, where is the word of God? It's in church. It's at prayer meeting. It's at men's fellowship. It's at Sunday school. It's at ladies' fellowship. It's where the word of God is found. Isn't that how they grow? Desire the sincere milk of the word that you may grow? Do we believe that? Then to the new convert, we say, we'll see you in church. Well, well, you don't understand. Yeah, I understand. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves. You have a responsibility to obey God's word. You have a responsibility to God's people, to fellowship and to learn. You need to be around God's people to learn how to live for God. I don't want to get quite that hard. Yeah, you'll suffer for it if we do. Most of the Christian community will totally reject us if we take that stand. I've told you, maybe collectively, maybe individually, the church I came out of in Illinois, this was the pastor's position. As a believer, you either follow God's word or you don't. There's nothing in between. There's nothing, oh, well, we have to understand. Yeah, I'll wait. We'll wait on you to respond. But you will respond. Because this is what the word of God says. That was Peter's attitude. You turn from sin. You turn to righteousness. There's nothing in between. And that's what these people had done. Why? Because it cost them to turn from sin to turn to righteousness. They stood out in society. They maligned for it. They suffered for it. How did Christ do it? He turned himself over to the Father. Father, you judge righteously. You know the truth of this matter. I'm going to follow you. 
I'll do what you call me to do. And we must do what we are called to do, to be witnesses of Christ. To proclaim his glories, as Peter says earlier. By his wounds, you were healed. Healed from what? Healed from the sin that you would live in. How are we healed? A lot of the, there's a whole group that believe this healing here, because this word is used habitually in the New Testament for physical healing. But in the context, it's healing from sin. That's a spiritual thing, not a physical thing. So by his stripes, we are healed. Keep in mind this picture. The man with the whip, the soldier who had the pleasure in his mind of whipping Christ, laying open his back. The man being whipped, Christ, is there to save that man. That's how severe his position and the sin position, the world position, is. Christ maintained his position. I'm here to save that man. Not to malign him, not to condemn him, not to rise up and strike him dead. I'm here to save that man. What he's doing to me, I'm taking his sin on my own back. I'm taking his sin on my back that he can be saved. The word here for healed is be made whole. It's a term often used contractually between two parties. Once all the stipulations of the contract have been met, both parties are made whole. It's complete. It's finished. Peter uses this word of physical healing. The woman with the issue of blood. What happened? She touched Christ's robe, and what happened? The blood stopped. It was over. Done. The blind man, he was blind, and now I see. It's abrupt. We are made whole with Christ, with God, through the blood of Jesus Christ, through his sacrifice. We are whole, complete. Everything that needs to be done is done. I have to think about that regularly, because when I look in here, I have to doubt. But then I look to him. There's the comfort. I made whole in him. I need to live that way. I can live that way. He's given me that ability in the new birth, in the Holy Spirit, the new life. I understand I can do this. But you see, knowing and doing are two different things. Knowing is the easy part. Doing it. (sighs) That's where it can get a little rough. Lord, how long am I going to have to bear up under their insults? By his wounds you were healed, for you were continually straying like sheep. Dull-witted. <laughs> Dull-witted sheep. But now you've returned to the shepherd, the guardian of your souls. Our souls Go back to Genesis. That body laying there, Adam, laying there, made out of the dust, complete. There he is. 
No life until God breathed his life into Adam. There's the soul. The word breathed is used, as, and we naturally just assume that's air. Was it air or was it life? The picture, breathing in, I understand that. No, God gave that, th- that thing, that dust in the ground, life. He is the guardian, the caretaker, the overwatcher of our souls. You were straying. We all know that. You were straying. And look what he did for us. They are straying. They don't understand. They're dim-witted when it comes to spiritual things. They don't understand. They don't comprehend. They reject us. They abuse us. They don't want anything to do with us. And yet look what Christ did. We need to have his thinking toward them. Suffer the abuse that we might win some. He's the shepherd, the guardian, the overseer of our souls. But now you have returned. This little word can give us some difficulty. We've returned. Have we? I say returned. If we say he returned, we expect, you know, okay, hypothetically, pastor returned. We expect to see him. He returned. That's not what this word means. We're on the path. Remember, we turn from sin to righteousness. We turn from sin. We're now on our way toward righteousness. It's not complete. We're not totally righteous in our experience. Get that. We are not totally right in our experience. We are right with God. The sin slate has been run clean. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. There is none. Why? Because there is no sin in God's eyes. But we are disobedient children. We were over here without God, rejecting God, nothing to do with God. Now we're over here. Now we have a different relationship. We're children of our Heavenly Father. And He treats us disciplines us as a loving father in the flesh disciplines his children. We are not disciplined for condemnation. We're disciplined to learn how to live righteously. It's hard at times to keep that straight if you're somewhat of a perfectionist, if you expect high things from yourself, (laughs) and we fall on our face continually. It's good to remember this. We are not complete yet. We haven't finished the course. We've got a lot to go yet. But we've turned. We've turned toward righteousness. We try. We struggle. But our path is to righteousness. We hunger and we thirst after righteousness. At times we have to be totally satisfied with the imputed righteousness that God sees us in. We have to trust in that. Oh, how I wish. I could be like I know I should be. But I also take comfort. Not that I excuse myself, but the Apostle Paul, he hadn't made it yet either. He still felt the wrong when he would do right. 
He found that law in him. When I would do good, evil's present with me. We need to learn to live with that. Not excuse the evil. Confess it. Put it aside. Turn away. Get back on toward the path of righteousness. Turn, if you will, in the third chapter. I want to show you something interesting that I found very interesting. When we try to apply the example to all these circumstances of life, it can get tricky. There's no general, it's all specific. How do you specifically apply this to your specific situation? But Peter sums it up in verse 8, which I thought was fascinating. To sum it up, all of you be harmonious, sympathetic, loving, compassionate, humble, not in treating evil for evil or insult for insult, but giving a blessing instead. For you were called for this very purpose, that you should inherit a blessing. These are the consequences. This is the result of what Peter has been saying. This should be what, uh, there should be the outcome. If we get the example right, if we get it applied right, verse 8 through 9 should be our experience. And if it isn't, we need to go back and see where we missed the example and take it up. Take up our cross and follow him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. It is so instructive. It takes us far beyond ourselves. And we thank you that you have committed your love to us, your care for us, and your promise to teach us and discipline us that we can go further in our walk with you than we were able to do yesterday. Thank you, Father. Bless our time of fellowship now. We ask it in Jesus' name. Lord bless you.